Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bottled. The 21st episode today is with my friend, the incredible Jenna Ong. Jenna is passionate about effective altruism and she's an advocate for the need and the importance of effective altruism in the world today. Now, what is effective altruism? Well, it's something we'll find out in the podcast today. But in a nutshell, it's about doing good things for the world in the most useful and the most effective way possible. To dive more into that, we have Jenna Ong today, part one of episode number 21. Please enjoy. get speakers in and that sort yeah. of thing and yeah it's really good group yeah that meets and we have chats into the night <laughs> before we move forward to yeah. that jenna welcome to bottled oh thank you <laughs> yeah um but i'm very excited for this episode and um it's primarily because of what we're going to talk about today which is effective altruism primarily mm. uh possibly branching into other topics as well depending on how we go but you were talking about this event that goes on at ANU on a weekly basis yes could you, could you run through that sure. again yeah. i should I, I do want to say it's a pleasure to be here thanks for here <laughs> thank you and i'm excited about this chat too i hope i can do the topic justice i'm no expert in effective <laughs> altruism but over the last few months i have gotten like quite really quite interested in it it's probably been like a year now mm. um and i still feel like <laughs> there's a lot of learning to do a lot of exploring yeah um but yeah it's it's a really fascinating thing um no i can vouch for that because um ever since we decided on doing this episode i've been sort of looking into it as well yeah and nice. it's um it's for me at least it's a, it's a very new concept to grasp and mm. that's why there's a lot of challenges for me to understand what mm. it really is. And that's why I'm really looking forward to this discussion because, you know, listening mm. to someone who's been in that field for however long you've been, and it's not just the time, but the effort you've put in as well. Yeah. Things I've heard from other people and your diary oh. and stuff. Um, and it's, I'm really looking forward to understanding about yeah, this. Yeah, cheers. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your perspectives based on your reading so <laughs> oh, yeah. far. Yeah, that's going to be interesting yeah. because um, it, it's a very interesting topic. Um, yeah. Primarily because, firstly, it's new and yeah. it sounds like something you know, but you don't. <laughs> and you know you have to, but you aren't. Okay. It. Yeah, for me at least. Ah. Yeah. So let's start off with this uh, event that you were talking about. Yeah. Sure. Weekly at um. So yeah, every week, uh, the club gets together. Um, it's a uni club here in Canberra. Mm-hmm. So at the ANU, Australian National University, there's a, a student club. And although I'm not a student currently, <laughs> I was a student a little while ago. Um, but I have found myself in this club. Yeah. Um, thanks to a friend of mine, Nick, um, like asking if I wanted to help out after meeting him at a party. And I was like yeah. really interested in what they did. Um, and it's the only like club in Canberra that represents mm. effective altruism and sort of talks about effective altruism as far as we know. Um, so I think they've tried to set up like the Canberra club, mm. um, but didn't really gain traction. They'll probably try again because I don't know how hard they tried last time. But um, for now, I think there's just the one club in... Um, 
in Canberra and like heaps of clubs elsewhere. Yeah. I'm going on massive tangents. No, that's you okay. asked about the events. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's, that's exactly what Bottle is about. It's, it just goes ah, everywhere. And it's just, good. Yeah. And um, yeah. Uh, that's the beauty of it. I think. Maybe it would be good if I try and define it first. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's both a philosophy yeah. and a movement, a kind of community of people. Mm. Um, so I guess it's a few things from that angle. But essentially, at the core, um, I would define it as um, like a philosophy and a movement that's interested yeah. in the question of how do we do the most good with our limited time and resources. Mm. Mm. There's a lot of interventions out there like charities, movements, campaigns, initiatives that aim to do good. I yeah. gen I'm, I'm sure they're really trying to like do good and a lot of them probably do, yeah. but a lot of them also don't. And it's been found, like the effect of altruists kind of discovered quite early on that, well, before that time, like no one really tried to um, look at like ration, like logical sort of evidence-based ways yeah. to do things. I just think it's, it's such a kind of 101 question as to like, how mm. can we do... Um, how can we show that we're like doing the most good? Because a lot of charities don't like. Yeah. I hate to single things out, single <laughs> charities out, but um, like World Vision, for example, which I have, um, like I sponsored a child for mm. a short while, and I think they do good work, and they probably do, mm. but they don't really prove it. You know, they don't I really have yeah. evidence to show. So you're just kind of throwing money there and hoping that it will do good. Mm. And like a lot of people are doing things with the hope that they do good. But it turns out there's a whole community of people who also find evidence for mm. doing good for like, you know, the, the interventions that do the most good. Yeah. So given that there's a way we can kind of prove mm. which charities are like doing better um, or worse, or which it's not necessarily charities. It could be just like uh, research yeah. or policy um changes mm. like if we could prove that some do a lot more good than others why wouldn't we like divert our our time and our money there yeah and yeah they found that like the best charities are hundreds of times better yeah. than the worst charities and the reason why it's also called a community or a movement or people is because you the people as a part of the effective altruism movement you gather evidence and check which donation has the most impact or what's the the best way of doing things in terms of let's say for example eliminating poverty or mm. just bringing a child food yeah. yeah so like there's a range of people within the community and there's definitely some who focus on global health mm. and poverty concerns like current concerns um mm. like the charity give well um sorry not charity they're like a charity evaluator um, and like that's their focus. There's also other people in the EA community who do um, who, who focus more on long-term um, risks, like existential human humanity kind of risks. Um, there's a, a lot to say project. about that topic. Yeah, like the basic uh, concept there is um, just because someone is living in the future. Like, just mm. because someone hasn't been born yet yeah. doesn't mean their welfare is any less important than the people living now. Mm. And when you think about how many more people are going to live in future compared to the present mm. and the past, it's, like, 
I can't remember the like, exact order of magnitude, but it's like heaps yeah. and heaps more people <laughs> um, has estimated, you know, before yeah, the, the projections like billions of people in the next like 10 years. Right. Yeah. Almost a billion. Sorry, I apologize. Not billions, but I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then like thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years into the future, yeah. if we don't kill ourselves before then, mm. like there would be even more people to think about. So yeah. um, there's like a whole sort of sub-movement of people within yeah. EA who are looking at mitigating risks for those people because there are like massive existential mm. potential nuclear disasters or um, AI, artificial yeah. intelligence risks are like quite a hot topic because of some great minds yeah. basically, you know, calling that out as a really major issue. There's climate change, there's global pandemics, as we know, yeah. like that could wipe out future humans. So that's a pretty important area. Although, things yeah. are very evident right now in terms mm. of like global change or sorry climate change um, and especially the deforestation problems as well that we discussed in the past but uh, I wanted to sort of dive into that uh, what you mentioned about gathering evidence mm. what's the process of how, how do you so even the Giveworld Foundation which apparently is very popular uh, mm. with effective altruism how do you gather evidence what's the process there well, Where do you go first? I wish I could say for sure because I mean, GiveWell is an awesome organization, and yeah. it would be like amazing to work there. But I <laughs> do not, um, and I don't know exactly how they do it. But I like I have a sense of it from looking at some of their mm. spreadsheets. So they're really mm. open about how they estimate cost effectiveness, um, and how they identify the top charities to donate to basically give well mm. um like is a organization and a website that uh lists out like the top charities that sort of pass their benchmark for they they um they've found that it's like really good evidence for um those charities doing doing good and like they base it on um so they don't necessarily do the mm. studies but the organizations will have done like randomized control trials mm. um, and um, other things to measure the effectiveness of yeah. what they're doing. Mm. So, for example, uh, one of the charities that GiveWell recommends is called uh, what's not, not a charity. I don't. I don't really know the terminology to use. But for GiveWell, yeah. Um, like for this one initiative, it's okay. called the Deworm, Deworm the World okay. Initiative. I haven't heard of that yet. Okay, mm. it's an interesting one. And yeah, a lot of people haven't heard about it. Uh, that's partly because I guess worms aren't really a sexy topic. Like, yeah. you <laughs> who wants to talk about talk worms? About it, yeah. um, but also probably just because that particular initiative like doesn't do nearly as much advertising mm. as, say... World Vision or UNICEF or... Or Kids with Cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, maybe it's because they're diverting their money to more, like, effective things. Mm. But basically with the Deworm the World initiative, uh, Mm. which I think is part of, like, the organization Evidence Action, um, Mm. they they have, like, super uh, cost-effective ways to, like, remove parasitic worms from Mm. kids... Uh, I think it's primarily kids in that, for that walk, who um, who who suffer from parasitic worms, yeah. um, and it's like really interesting origin 
um, kind of story for this organization. Because I mentioned earlier, yeah. like that something happened in 1993, which was a bit pivotal yeah. to the movement, right? And that and thing was. Proceed, oh, sure. Is that a part of the effective altruism program or movement as well? The organization. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Continue, please. Yeah. Yeah. Just on that note, briefly, like、mm. I would say, you know, it's not like a rigidly defined thing.、Mm-hmm. I feel like. Anyone who's thinking about how how to do the most good with their limited time and resources is probably thinking、uh, in an effectively altruistic way. You know,、um, it's not like there's some stamp of approval that you get from you know being a certain、uh, be, being considered EA or not. Like、mm. I, I kind of think it's not a union could, kind of thing. Like it's yeah, it's like a philosophy. Yeah, that you adapt. Yeah, exactly.、Um, so in 1993. If I've got my dates right,、um, there was a guy called like Michael Kramer. To be honest, I do not know how to pronounce his last name because I've only read this. Could be Kramer from Seinfeld. Could, could be. <laughs>、uh, he. So I read about this in、mm. the book,、um, in a book by Will McCaskill, who's like one of the founding fathers of、mm. EA.、Um, and so this guy, Michael,、uh, I'll just call him Michael. That's okay. <laughs>、um, So he,、um, he was like on a vacation or something in Kenya、um, back around 1993, and he、um, had a friend there.、Uh, I think it was Paul L. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Anyway, his friend had a charity there, and the charity was, I think, a Christian charity, which was trying to improve education rates, like rates of attendance, especially. Um, in schools in Kenya, because it, there's a big issue、um, with like kids not getting,、um, not going going through school entirely in Kenya, and then like as a result, the economy、um, is like not as strong, and there's just a lot of education related issues in Kenya. And so this friend of Michael's was,、um, of Michael was trying to set up this、uh, charity. I think he already had a charity and. He was gonna provide schools with like more resources,、mm-hmm. like flip charts and books and stationery and teachers,、uh, and maybe some other things to like try and improve attendance. Like they thought、mm-hmm. that it would help, you know. And so、um, he was about to like start. Dispensing these things, when Michael urged his friend to try and maybe do a randomized control trial to make sure that his intervention was working. Yeah. So his friend agreed, and like for seven schools, he gave them like stationery, and they tested each one one by one, like stationery, more、um, books,、um, and more teachers.、Mm. And then for the other seven schools, they didn't do anything. It was a control. Control group, and they d- discovered that none of those things made a difference to attendance rates.、Mm. As in, in providing stationery or or books, books. or teach or extra teachers.、Mm. The books won partly because the books were in English, and these Kenyans、uh, at school did not speak English yet, or、mm. not much. You know, these kids are still learning,、yeah. and so the books were really quite lost in them. So that was a classic example of like money spent. With no impact, and they kept trying things. You know, they weren't disheartened. They were like, "Well, maybe something else will work."、Mm. You know, maybe 
don't know, will, um, I don't know what else they tried, but they kept trying different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and finally, s- someone, uh, I think a friend of theirs from the World Health Organization, like suggested, why don't you try deworming pills? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you kind of help um, treat these kids of the parasitic worms that were quite prevalent in that oh. area? And they were surprised to find that not only did this intervention help, but it was, like, hugely impactful. So much so that um, they did, like, a follow-up study, like, 10 years later or something, where they tracked those kids, like, and they saw what um, incomes they had as a result of, like, Mm. you know, the kids who had been dewormed uh, when they were in school... Um, were compared with, like, the kids who hadn't been dewormed, Mm. and they were earning, like, a substantial amount more um, in income. Because their cognitive powers increased as well. Because they, yeah, they they were able to go through with their education. That's crazy. And it was so um, successful that the program was shown to have, like, paid for itself. Because the government would be spending, like, very little money. Mm. Um, It takes, uh, it costs less than a dollar, um, Aussie dollars, mm. less than 50 cents US and less than a dollar Aussie to deworm, like to treat to treat a child of, of parasitic oh, wow. worms. I think you have to do it like twice a year, sometimes once a year, mm. um, maybe sometimes once in three months, like depending on the area and how bad it is. Yeah. But um, it's just like a few times a year and it costs like less than a dollar per child and it substantially improves their quality of life. So it doesn't really save their life. Like yeah. worms don't kill a child. They just like drastically kind of um, affect their health so much. Yeah. That's what, that's a large reason why they weren't going to school because they're just too sick. And you can see there how like this deworming pill was like super cost effective. Yeah. Whereas like extra books had like zero infrastructure that doesn't make sense to the kids yeah Yeah, because they're not feeling well they don't want to go to school exactly warms or a headache yeah caused by the warms yeah exactly um so amazing like discovery and the first time Mm. that the scientific method had been applied to like the developing um you know what do you call it the like development space like global health and poverty kind of concerns and that's like i feel like that was probably like a major kickstarter for like the whole movement. I mean, mm. I think there were other things going on going on at the time, but like just the idea of like applying those scientific methods yeah. um to the development um world um is just feels like it should have been done sooner to me, yeah. you know, sooner earlier mm. than 1993, but yeah, I guess it's a relatively new movement yeah. and yeah, for that reason, kind of important. Okay. Yeah, maybe yeah. you can vouch for this, but I think the problem is... Um, so I was doing this uh, a bit of research on effective altruism as well, and one example in particular, because it was so simple and it related to me more because I'm not as invested in this as you are, mm. is that when you want to buy a laptop or when you want to purchase something from the market, you do so much research about it. Mm. You review it, you see what the specs are. If I'm buying a computer, if I want to invest $900 on it, I see what the graphics cards are. I see what the fan does, what what companies are yeah, yeah. But we're not doing the same when you want to donate to a certain organization. Yes. And I was checking what the psychology behind this is. Mm. And as, um, I read somewhere that it's that, you know, as human beings, we find it hard to empathize with others. And I think 
the reason why effective altruism can work is because you're really empathizing with the other person, mm. seeing where where exactly the core issue is, mm. what really is happening, rather than trusting an organization that has a beautifully built website yeah. and not a very transparent way uh, mm. of showing where your funds are, but rather being empathetic and looking to see, like just you know putting it under a microscope and checking what the issue is. And yeah. I think. Um, yeah, and just to answer my own question from mm. earlier, I don't think you need a process for effective altruism. Mm. I think it's just observe, check what the issue is. Mm. Would that be correct as well? Like just checking what the issues are? Yeah, I think it definitely has to start with a hell of mm. a lot of observation to figure out like what's going on in the community that you might be trying to um, help um, mm. because sometimes we're wrong. Um, yeah. Like, there's that great... Have you heard of the play pumps? Uh, what was um, that again? Play pumps? No. What's that? It's a bit of a classic uh, failure story um, mm. that I actually came across way back, um, like, outside of EA, but um, it's definitely been discussed in EA as well. It's basically this, uh, t- this new product that was created with the best of intentions. Um, it was a water pump for a village, mm. um, and like the intention was for kids to play on it you know in a playground there's like a spinning for some playgrounds there are like there's like a spinning platform yeah, and yeah. you jump on it like you run alongside it for a while that, yeah. you jump on it's like wee uh so it's it's meant to be fun yeah. um and like the premise was that these kids in the village would play on the pump yeah and like at the same time it would pump water for the village and oh, okay. this would eliminate the need for women and children to walk like many miles to access water. And yeah. so, you know, someone from the first world thought this was a great intervention, like, let's do this. But they didn't consult the community <laughs> uh, and they didn't really try it out properly. Like, I think they didn't really test it out. They just assumed it would work as a great concept. Yeah. And it got like rave reviews when it first started up everyone was like this is a fantastic idea play pumps what could be better um but when the community actually used it uh they found it wasn't fun so the kids didn't play on it reason it's not fun is because the like that playground equipment is fun due to momentum like Mm. you're you're running along for a while and then when you jump on there's momentum in a normal playground uh spinny thing Mm. (laughs) whatever it's called and so you you keep spinning and you go wee, yeah. but with the play pump you had to keep on spinning it oh, okay. <laughs> for it to work. Right. So these kids would like spin and spin all day, but never really get the wee. Yeah, they were um, more fatigued or tired. Yeah, because I think with the other one there's a bearing in there, so it sort of makes it easier to. So it just spins exactly with minimum effort. Yeah, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, and that's what's fun about it. Yeah. But because it wasn't fun, the villagers were like, well, we actually prefer the hand pump. Mm. They're like old, they're old technology, just a manual thing. And so that was like a big waste of money um, through not observing enough in the community. Um, And not asking the right questions or looking at the right place. Yeah, Mm. that's it. Because there's a massive gap, like you said earlier, between the the poorer countries or the third world, Mm. uh, as they tag it, and the first world. Because... We're living in extreme wealth, honestly. If you want to, if you're at least working a nine to five job or whatever job, mm. even a retail job, 
you can at least live a very comfortable life in a country like Australia. That's for sure. Yeah. But it's not the same overseas. It really isn't. And, and like everywhere else, almost, you know, yeah. we're in like the top 1% of richest people in the world if Definitely. we earn over $70,000 yeah. Aussie a year. Um, and if you if you earn over 40000 you're still in the top 5% richest. Yeah. Um, so I think like when we spend our money here, like maybe, you know, things cost a bit more here. Mm. So there's this idea in EA that like, which is true, which <laughs> is the fact, a fact that um, your money does go further overseas. Like mm. you could do a lot more for people overseas with like the same amount of money. I think um, it's been shown that um, happiness, mm. um, if you can measure it, um, like increases by the same amount with every doubling of income so like if someone's earning like to to take an extreme like maybe five hundred dollars a year overseas and you double their income by giving them five hundred dollars in that year it's like hardly anything off you Mm. but you're doubling their income so you're increasing their happiness by the same amount that you would increase your happiness if you doubled your i don't know eighty thousand dollars income yeah. like imagine getting like hundred sixty thousand dollars a year instead of eighty thousand it's like yeah. whoo i would be happy um exactly. and so you could do the same for someone else having said all this like i don't advocate like mm. like sending all your money overseas and just like not spending on yourself because i think there's a real danger in not like taking care of yourself enough mm. and treating I, yourself yeah mm. and i think even in the ea community which is a bit obsessed with like trying to do the most good they like very much um there's a very popular um you know sentiment there that you have to look after yourself first Mm. like you have to take care of your own like health and well-being because we can't really help other people long term if we're you know like giving all our money away and Mm. yeah no, absolutely. But what you said about uh, your money overseas goes mm. a long way. It's still true, true, because of the conversion rates as well, and the cost of living is so cheaper there. Yeah. And there's a lot of organizations sending money overseas as well, like donating money overseas. But what I have noticed is, um, so I'm from Nepal, which yeah. has been uh, through so much in the past 20 mm. years in terms of earthquake, royal massacre, political instability. And I've noticed that when you donate through these um, websites or organizations, I can't think of any at this point in time, but when you do donate, I don't know what happens, but I can't see, uh, I just can't see the money going to the right hands. Just disappears into the other. Yeah. But my friends back in Nepal, God bless them, because they are activists. Like they are always running around, going to villages, even Mm. during the earthquake when I was there. We went to villages, we helped the community out, and we preferred to do it by ourselves, mm. not through organizations. Right. And what you said, I think, is especially true in uh, poorer countries. Mm. Um, the fact that people there are more effective in terms of charity and donation yeah. and activism than big organizations are. Oh, I think that direct impact is like really valuable and amazing that like you helped out with that and you know you and your friends would like you could see the problems firsthand and you could do something about it Mm. rather than us being quite removed in australia um and like often it is the community themselves who knows what's best for them like not 
us in some far-removed land, mm. which is why this one charity works really well. It's called Give Directly, mm-hmm. and they are one of GiveWell's like, top as well. And they, um, tr- like, they give direct transfers. Like, you can um, send money directly to people who are in extreme poverty. Mm. And they are empowered to do what what they need with it. And, like, some people have argued that, oh, you know, if you just give money to poor people, they'll spend it on booze and, mm. like, drugs and no, that sort of thing. Absolutely no. not. At least with, with this organisation, I don't know how they... Um, how they manage it but i think it's true to say that like people who really are in extreme poverty are like they know what's they know what they need um give directly found that people were using it to build houses for themselves yeah or you know to start businesses that Mm. so that they could earn their own money and that's really effective like they are just humans like us like there would be some of them probably who mm. might prefer alcohol but like the vast majority would probably not they probably no. you know absolutely uh you know in in places where there is poverty obviously there are problems like crime and mm. um alcohol problems there's a lot of that i've seen that firsthand as well but mm. like you said as well not entirely there's a lot of good people out there who want yeah. to do good for themselves and you're in that position not because of not necessarily because of the the decisions that you've taken but because of where you are what your surrounding mm. is what your commitments were growing up um and all all of these things as well yeah so as, totally. as a part of effective altruism yeah. do you or people who are activists globally um is there a lot of traveling involved as well to meet people from these communities ah. that's an interesting question i think there would be like differing opinions in the community as to whether that's a good spend of money like whether that's an effective spend of money um i know that like listening to some podcasts yeah um by eighty thousand hours which is awesome organization yeah Yeah, nice it's amazing it is um we should talk more about that in a sec (laughs) um they i i just recently heard some podcasts where the guy was talking about mm-hmm. how he travels quite a bit um, to like meet with organizations who could provide grants. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's not so much like traveling directly to the communities are, that are in need. I don't think EAs, um, like effective altruists, do that very much because mm-hmm. um, it costs quite a lot to travel and... Um, there's a sentiment that volunteering is not the most effective uh, mean- way because, like, you're spending a lot of time and we're mm. all sort of limited human beings in terms of space and yeah. our actions. Like, we can only help so many people with our actions. Yeah. But if we send $100 to the deworming initiative, we could, like, treat 100 kids from worms. And we can't do that ourselves with like you know in two minutes like we can by doing it so i think there's like not very much of that but there's a lot of um networking with other effective Mm. altruists because it is quite a globally spread movement and community yeah so i think it started in oxford uk Mm -hmm. among like philosophers and mathematicians and economists who were like quite nerdy Yeah, yeah he's definitely one of them and I think um, Give Well is in California. Mm. 
Um, and there's quite a few in Australia. ANU. Probably not. Yeah, ANUs. <laughs> Which I know is a part of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're a bit smaller in Australia, I guess, just due well, to a smaller population. Starts. But, like, there's definitely a few people quite involved in all mm. that, um, you know. Yeah, no, good to know because uh, a conventional way of really uh, understanding the world or helping others out is to travel to places. Yeah. And, uh, no, it's good to know that that's not really a priority because I'm I'm still trying to understand um, how effective altruism is different to, or the process uh, in particular is different to other uh, donations or mm. charities, and that's that that seems like it's one of the pillars of that, like. Forget about the conventional way of helping the world. Mm. Just look at the figures and the facts. Yeah. I mean, in the like global health and poverty space, there's a real focus, I would say, on cost effectiveness because mm. there's a lot of things like health interventions that are already happening that you can measure. But in other areas, like animal welfare is a bit harder to measure. And mm. it's like one of the key cause areas, like something that's talked a lot about a lot in the EA community yeah. is like how to... Um, make sure animals are not suffering as much as they currently do, both in captivity, uh, like, you know, on farms, that, and also potentially in the wild. Like, that's mm. a whole other kind of fringe topic, I guess, the wild animal suffering is a big <laughs> question. But, like, that's one where I would say it's not necessarily about, like, finding evidence. Um, similarly, with long-termism, future mm. stuff, like, we don't have evidence for the long-term future, you know, will probably be gone by the time we know whether the interventions we're doing now have worked. Um, so one other key like principle, I guess, um, besides cost effectiveness, um, is just like careful reasoning. Like I mentioned, there's a few philosophers, this was sort of started by philosophers, and they spend a lot of time thinking carefully in a really like considered manner about um, morality and, you know, like why animals might be as important as humans. Um, it's a great Peter Singer um, excerpt, mm. although he's a controversial figure, but um, I do really agree with what he says that about how with animals in terms of like um, our treatment of them, yeah. it's not about whether they are sentient. It's not about whether they can think mm. or whether they... Um, can experience joy it's about whether they can suffer um you know that's, that's the key question like can they suffer um and i guess maybe can they suffer as much as us mm. and if they can then what we are doing to them is not is like as bad as kind of mm. what we're doing you know as bad as doing it to humans mm. um i'm no expert in like animal welfare stuff but i just think that's a really interesting concept and just kind of shows how yeah, mm. like so. Peter Singer advocates for the fact that if animals can suffer as much as we can, or to suffer to a certain extent that we treat them, then they—that's their place. Is uh, is is that what he's advocating? Or, um, yeah, um. So, sorry, can you repeat the question? Oh, that's okay. <laughs> so, um, if animals can suffer to a certain extent, yeah. Um, Sorry, I, I missed the uh, the whole point of uh, what Singer was trying to say about... Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I probably didn't describe it well. No, that's okay. So, I guess there's a lot of, like, mm. philosophical debates about whether we should care about animal welfare. Yeah. Like, should we kill chick kill chickens and kill cows, like, for, for beef, and you know? Um, and some philosophers would say, uh, 
no because they can't they're not as like cognitively advanced mm. as humans so like it their welfare like maybe doesn't matter as much because you know they can't think like us they can't reason they they also maybe can't think about the future mm. as uh clearly so they can't um preempt like they they have less uh worry time if they're like going into a slaughterhouse mm. you know they won't know it mm. so like their suffering it, is maybe yeah. less mm. i think there's some value to that argument like mm. maybe they don't quite know what's happening so it's like not as worrying as you know if a human was being brought into a slaughterhouse mm. but at the end of the day you know, if they if they're being killed um like peter singer's argument is what's important what the question we have to ask is like mm. can they suffer mm. because i guess that's the reason why uh. we wouldn't kill a being Understood. because they might suffer and i guess it's just one philosophical standpoint but it's yeah. it's one that i happen to agree with no absolutely that's the important kind that's of question. interesting because and like you said he's a very controversial figure as well mm. because i i read an article on abc about a book by peter singer and the the topic of the article was why effective altruism is not effective and i was sort uh. of like skimming through it and i'll be happy to go through a line as well that, yeah. that i found very interesting so yeah. we can dive more into that as well sure um I didn't entirely agree with the article, yeah. um, but um, I'll, try, yeah, I'll try and locate that line. Yeah, sure. I wanted to go back as well to mm -hmm. something you were talking about earlier um, to do with, you know, you were talking about how when we buy things for ourselves, like mm -hmm. we do a lot of research. Yeah. I mean, maybe not everyone does, but... I can certainly see that you do. And, you know, you look do, at the yeah. specs of a computer and get really comprehensive about it. I think that's a really good point um, that it's it's interesting that we do that for ourselves and in a lot of areas of our lives. Like, we do a lot of research, but when it comes to donating or doing, you know, kind yeah. of other good, probably especially donations, like, we we don't do that much research and I'm curious, like, kind of curious to explore why. I guess one thing is there's not a lot of uh, widely publicized mm. research. So we just kind of assume it's not there. Like, I know before I found EA, I kind of just went off um, what percentage of the money went to a certain intervention. So, like, yeah. I think, um, I think, well, World Vision is like 80%. Um, so 80% of their funds, I saw like two different numbers on two different sources, but anyway, approximately like say a charity donates like 80% of its, um, yeah. of what we give to the actual people in need and they, the 20% is like overheads, admin mm. and that sort of thing. It's like, that's a really common metric to go by. I feel yeah. when people are doing research on charities, if they do any, it's like, oh, okay, like, I guess this one gives more money to you know the people in so need let's go for that. Yeah. but the, uh, i don't know why i never considered how flawed that was when mm. i was like a kid thinking you know just because more money goes towards people in need i think i just assumed it would be effective like mm. it would make a difference but what if that charity was like the charity who was giving school books to mm. children in kenya who didn't need extra school books like it's not necessarily effective even yeah. if we're giving a large portion of that money away yeah and i guess another reason is like often when if we're 
donating, well, sometimes at least, we might be kind of regaled by someone in the middle of a shopping center yeah. who's like, please sponsor a child, you know, and it's a bit of obligation. And they tell us like some key facts that kind yeah. of sound really, and they pr- they might well work. I'm not doubting that they mm. they don't, that they work, you know, it's just that there's no evidence for it. Yeah. And so wouldn't you rather kind of support a charity where there is evidence and you can be sure, mm. like today... I got an email in the morning, finally, from GiveWell. I've been waiting for a little while, but they do it quarterly, um, telling me, like, how much a certain donation helped. It was like, oh, oh they just wrote to me saying, like, hey, Jenna, like, thanks for the donation. Um, this amount, like, um, provided, like, 892 treatments to um, pe- people with vitamin A deficiency oh. and, like, 10 malaria bed nets, or, like, malaria-preventing <laughs> um, bed nets. And, like, it was really cool having those kind of concrete, you know, like, I guess, I guess real altruism is, like, when you do something for someone else without any feelings for yourself. But I feel like that's not realistic. Like, as humans, we like that little satisfaction. Like, part of the reason I donate is to feel kind of good. Like Some people do it for karma. Yeah. And I do it to feel good for myself as well. Awesome. Yeah, you're right. And yeah. I really don't think that's wrong. Like, mm. if if you feel good at the same time, it's a win-win situation, mm. you know? Yeah. And I also kind of think, like, at the end of my life, if I haven't done anything else, yeah. <laughs> you know, if I just end up living a boring life, yeah. at least I will be able to say to myself on my deathbed, you know, I helped these kids, yeah, they exactly. saved a life or two. Yeah. 